I had a picture earlier this week of uh, a nest uh, of birds. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a nest of birds, but like, you know, you see all these birds and at first, you know, the, the nest is, is just eggs and, and there's somebody, sit, uh, some bird sitting on the, not somebody, some bird sitting on the nest of eggs. And, and in my, in this picture, I had, there was all these baby birds and there was the mother that was there nurturing them and feeding them. And, and so the mother makes sure that everything gets, gets, take, gets, uh, gets to the babies and the, the mother cares for the babies. And after a while though, all of the babies leave the nest. Like after a while, they, they go out on their own. Some of them even get pushed out of the nest. And as I considered the picture, I, I felt the Lord was showing me a picture of his church. We like the comfort. We like the safety of the nest. We like how it makes us feel. We like that when someone takes care of our spiritual needs and routinely feeds us. But the goal of our Christian lives was never to stay in the nest. We like it. We like it. It's comfortable. It makes us feel good. But the nest was intended to be a time of preparation to fly. Many birds leave the nest before they're completely ready to fly. I've been watching the way the church has reacted to the events of the past couple weeks, and one would think that given the priority we've placed on making sure we can live stream our church services, that this would be the primary thing the Church of Jesus Christ was created to do, to have a church service. But what if that was just training? What if the structures and the services of the church were created in order to train and equip and release people into the calling that God had placed on their lives? Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we should stop meeting. We never get past this gathering as the body of Christ. We always will gather to, to worship and for edification and mutual support. The church will always gather in some form. But what if our time in these structures was really just training and equipping for our God-ordained role in releasing the kingdom of God into a world that desperately needs it? We've been in this series for a that we've called Out of the Darkness, and where we are going... Uh, where we're going through the early chapters of Exodus, looking at how God brought the Israelites out of slavery and how he used Moses in that task. And today we're going to look at a time when Moses finally steps into the task that God had been preparing him to do. And I don't normally put a title to our, to the message, but it really felt like this was the title for this. I'm calling it this message trained for a time like this, trained for a time like this. And when we look back at chapter 2, Moses tried to stand up for the Israelites by killing an Egyptian. But what he found, when he was found out, he ran from Egypt. Jerry talked about that last week. Then, while he's living in the wilderness in Midian, God appears to him in the burning bush and says that he will be the answer to the slavery of the Israelites. And Moses, like most of us, objects five times. We've, we all object to, to what God calls us to at least once, right? The first time God, says, uh, God says, uh, calls Moses, Moses says, well, who am I to go tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go? And God says, well, I'll be with you. And at the end, Israel, the Israelites will worship on this mountain. The second time he says, what if the Israelites want to know what God said to, like, 
what God sent me. Which God is it that sent you? And God reveals who he is, and he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The third time, Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? Like, what if they say that's not really the God? And, and so God performs signs with Moses and tells him to do the signs if the Israelites don't believe. The fourth time, he says, I'm not a good speaker. And God says, I gave you your mouth. Who do you think puts words in your mouth? The fifth time, Moses just plain says, would you just send somebody else? I mean, you ever felt that way? Like, would you just send somebody else? I've, I've certainly felt that way, even in the past two weeks, like going, I've not, I wasn't trained for something like this. I wasn't prepared for something like this. We're, we're way outside the bounds of any sort of pre-education, right? This is not normal. But here's the thing that I want you to note is all of this is kind of like training for Moses. It's Moses discovering a lot about God and a lot about who he is. He's learning what God's nature is and what God does. It's a time of training. And then we get to the end of chapter 4, and Moses finally does what God has prepared him to do. He goes back to Egypt, and here's what happens. This is the end of chapter 4, verse 29 says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. And then we continue chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Moses shows up among the Israelite elders, just like God told him to. He tells them who has sent him, and he performs the signs God gave him to perform. Then he goes to Pharaoh and he tells him what God told him to say. In other words, he does what he was trained for. He does what he was prepared to do. He does the thing that God had been preparing him for. Friends, I don't know how you think about what it is that we do when we gather at church in person. I don't know how you think about that. When I was a kid, I thought attending church was checking a box. You know, I got a, it's a way to satisfy a, a weekly obligation. I, you know, maybe that's your sense. Maybe that attending church is checking some sort of cosmic box that I have to make sure I do it. But when I encountered Jesus in 2003, everything changed for me. I realized that what we were doing when we were gathering as a church was training. We were training for life in the world. I began to bring a notebook to church so that I could write down the things that I felt like God was saying. And when we came to this city to plant this church, we structured it intentionally this way. Everything we did was to equip and train people for the life they were called to live. And what this means is that everything we were doing at the train station, everything we were doing at right, everything we were doing back when it was just in our living room, everything we are doing now in Zoom, 
exists to equip you to live the life you were called to live. That's why we do what we do. And right now, I think we're sitting right at the edge of a moment in history that we've been training for for our entire Christian lives. I think we're sitting right at the edge of a moment where God is going to move in our, in our country, in our world. Now, right now, we're all locked in our homes and isolated from normal human interaction because of the spread of this virus. And, and it puts many things up in the air, right? I mean, like some of you have, I know some of you have lost jobs. There are others of you who are wondering if you're going to lose your job. Some of you are out of school. I know some of you are wondering if you're going to survive your kids being out of school. Uh, you can, no show of hands, it's all of us. All of us that have kids are wondering if we're going to survive kids being out of school. Some of you are wondering, and some of us are wondering about food or if we're going to be able to get toilet paper. My brother installed a bidet in his house. Because, I mean, call it what you want, but there's some fear that I'm not going to be able to have toilet paper, you know. Some of us are worried about friendships. Some of us are worried about our health. Like, am I going to get this virus? And this is all over the world, or all over our country, all over our city, all over the world. In the past two weeks, I don't know if you guys have ever under, undergone this uh, as, as, as just a, a thing to try, but in the past two weeks, I've tried several times to consider what this would be like without having a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever tried that? It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Without a relationship with Jesus, what sets in is panic. That's what we have, panic. What happens if I can't get food? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if the kids can't go back to school? What happens if I can't spend time with my friends? What happens if I get the coronavirus? What happens if I die from the coronavirus? What sets in is fear and panic. And if this is what is setting in for you, perhaps there are areas of your life you have not yet surrendered to Jesus. It's not that the follower of Jesus doesn't ask these questions. We certainly ask them. It's just that the follower of Jesus knows that the Lord's going to take care of us. I can sit here. We had a, a, you know, we have these conversations about, well, what happens if we get it? And I'm not, really not that worried about it. I know that God's going to take care of me. One way or another, God will take care of me. We have a Father in heaven who loves us, we, who is making all things new. We as followers of Jesus approach this from a different perspective. But here's the moment we're in as followers of Jesus. We have people all around us who do not have hope in Jesus. And in their lives, fear and panic is setting in. The worry of what is, will happen is setting in. The isolation is setting in. Many are beginning to wonder if there's a God. And if so, can he intervene? Will he intervene? The sick are fearful that they will die. This is the moment that we're in. Meanwhile, we've been training to hear from God to pray for people, to share the gospel, to care for one another in small groups. In other words, we've been training our entire Christian lives for a moment just like this. And I hope you see that. That's what we've been doing all this time. And at the same time, we've been developing these relationships with friends, with neighbors, coworkers, family members who are now finding themselves 
in a growing need for what we have. Do you have eyes to see the way God's going to work this out? Do you see that? Like as you, right where you're sitting, do you see that about how God is going to work this out? It's just so plain to see, right? This is an out of the nest moment for us, friends. That's where we are. We've all been kicked out of the nest and we're gathering via Zoom because we need each other, but we are out of the nest. It's a moment in our lifetime where we move from being people who receive training or consume religious goods of services, whichever one you might be, to walking in our divine purpose as the church of Jesus Christ. That's the point right now. That's where we are. This is the cultural moment that we're in. Now, how do we do this? Everybody's locked down, right? Everybody can't, you know, I mean, some of you are going to work and uh, but, but many of us have just been in our houses. How do we do this? Here's how we do this. Every one of us functions as a chaplain. A what? A chaplain. If you've not spent time in the hospital or haven't talked to Mary, uh, you may or may not know what a chaplain is. But what does a chaplain do? Many things a chaplain does. But among these things is to regularly check in on people, to hear from God on behalf of people and speak those words to them, words of encouragement, words of hope, words of, words of promise, to pray for people, to share Jesus with people when it's appropriate. Some of you might ask, well, with social distancing and all the rules in place, how am I going to be a chaplain now? Listen, every one of us has one of these, right? Every one of us has a phone that has a whole contact list, all the people that you know and interact with routinely. Every, and if you don't have one of these, you have a, a book, a, a book or a Rolodex. If you know what a Rolodex is, congratulations. There are some people on this call that probably don't know what that is. But every one of us has a list of contacts someplace. And what I'm telling you right now is be the chaplain of your contact list. Be the chaplain of your contact list. Don't go to them and tell them. You're not going, hey, just so you know, I was on the Zoom call on Sunday morning and the pastor said that I'm supposed to be your chaplain. So just so you know, I'm going to serve. Don't do that. That's just weird. It freaks people out. Don't do that. But what I'm saying is just do it. Send people a text message every week or two. Make a phone call every week or two and just check in on people. See how they're doing. See if there's any way you can pray for them and then actually do it. We've, that's why we've been training you how to do this. Reach out to people. Pray for people. If God gives you something to share with people, share it with them. You don't have to preface it with, well, God told me. Don't make it weird. Most of the prophetic stuff that I do sounds a lot like this. Keep your head up. You're doing a good job. You're going to make it. God's going to take care of this. That's how you do it. You just, it's a, it's, hey, you, you are a good mom. Hey, you are running this. You're doing the best you can. And I know that God sees that. That's, that's just, just do that. Reach out to people and do that. And where the door is open, share your story of encounter with Jesus and why you have the hope. Why is it that you're not freaked out like everybody else is freaked out? Share that with them. And where the door is open, share how they can have a relationship with Jesus. If they're open to it, offer to read scripture with people. We've been doing these small groups in Zoom. If you, if you have a group of people that would like some community during social distancing, let's make it happen. 
if your contact list has people that are curious enough about Jesus to get together with you in a group and read the Bible together, let's make a Zoom happen. Let's do it. You've been trained your entire Christian life for a moment like this. Let's not miss it. Can you imagine the implications if we actually step into this moment? Can you imagine what that could look like? Some of you are going to keep someone who is isolated from committing suicide just because you reach out. Just because you reach out and that you care. Some of you are going to be able to help save a marriage from crumbling because of all this time together. Do you know that a lot of times married people stay married because they don't spend a lot of time together? And now they're forced into the same house and to spend a lot of time with each other. And this brings to the surface areas of unresolved conflict. Some of you can be the hope in the midst of that marriage. Some of you are going to get to pray for healing for your contacts and see it happen. Some of you in the next couple months will have the great privilege of leading some of your contact list into a relationship with Jesus. Some of you for the first time will begin a small group with the people in your contact list. And as this virus get, gets contained and restrictions get lifted, some of you are going to get to baptize your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and your family members. Do you see how this is going to work out? We've been trained for a time just like this. And I believe that if we are faithful in this moment, we're at the cusp of seeing our nation turn to Jesus in a way we've never seen before. Can you see it? I see churches that were dying coming alive again. I see tons of new churches scattered all over central Pennsylvania because faithful people like you stepped into this moment, determined to live out what God had prepared for you to do. And as in the Exodus story, when faithful people step out and do what God asks, God intervenes in a big way. See, the way this plays out is Moses does the things he was trained to do. And then God backs up his act. And God turns the tide. And God does all the things that Moses can't do. That's what we're about to see, friends. Don't you want to be a part of that? You were trained. You were equipped for a moment such as this. You get to be the answer. Will you be the chaplain to your contact list? What I want you to do is I want you to discuss these questions. And here's the questions. The first question is, who are the people that God is bringing to mind to reach out to? Like immediately as we talk about this. And when and how are you going to do this? And number two is what concerns, fears, or insecurities rise up in you as you consider this? Certainly there are things that, uh, that rise up, and, and what we want to do is we want to talk about these things, and, and we want to pray together.